like to join in with Brother Ben welcoming everyone out tonight. I hope the things I discuss will be beneficial to you. Appreciate Brother Tim's prayer, and, and I hope the same. I hope that I remember everything I planned and we all get something good out of it. Uh, tonight, for a few moments, I'd like to talk about uh, the book of Ecclesiastes. I'm going to look mostly at the first chapter. I've, I've spoken, or I'm not, I've never really spoken about Ecclesiastes. I've pulled passages from it. I've, I've done a couple funerals, and at the, end of the, at the end of this book, there are a few verses that are fit very well in, in funeral settings, and I've pulled those, but I've never really talked about uh, much, much more out of Ecclesiastes, I don't believe. So I'd like to do that tonight. The Bible, we know, is, is full of different kinds of books. Uh, books all put together teach us many lessons and, and ultimately one overall theme we know. We have books of history. We have books of law. Uh, we have the books of the prophets. We get into the gospels and, and the books that tell us uh, what the apostles did and eventually what we are to look forward to at the end of this life and how everything uh, will come to an end when, when God is ready for that to happen. But we also have the books of poetry. Uh, the books of, of Psalms and Proverbs, and then this book of Ecclesiastes is in that category as well. Uh, it's a book of poetry. It's, it's a little more than that, I, I think, uh, the other books are too. Um, uh, it's, it's a book of wisdom, um, a book of philosophy, I believe. And there's wisdom in the, those others as well. Uh, but I'd like to examine a little bit of that tonight. When you think about the book of Ecclesiastes, the first thing that may pop into your mind, you may think of vanity of vanities. It's always the first, first phrase that pops in my head. Uh, you may think in uh, of chapter 3 uh, when it says, To everything there is a season, a time and purpose to everything uh, under heaven. We, uh, that's a very popular one that uh, gets read a lot and you see on different things. Uh, but I'd like to, to focus on chapter 1 a little bit in this lesson, and, and we'll get into some of that as we move along. The word Ecclesiastes is a Greek translation of the Hebrew word koalet, which is commonly translated a preacher. The Greek term for church is ekklesia. I know Dad's mentioned that several times. Uh, it's used in the, in the New Testament 114 times, and that word is broken down into two words, ek meaning out of, and klesis, a calling. So literally, the word ekklesia means a calling out of, and that's exactly what we are. These, these Greek words are used in verses such as Matthew 16, 18, 2 Thessalonians 2, 14, John 15, 19, Colossians 1, 13, and 2 Corinthians 6, 17, and 18. And when you take what those verses say, it, kind of, it boils down to the fact that we are a spiritual body called out of the world and into a holy relationship with God. Those words are, are, one or both of those words are brought up in all those verses, and that's what we get out of it. So just from the title of the book, Ecclesiastes, we can get what the book or what is going on in the book. It's about a preacher, basically, who is delivering a sermon uh, to people who are called out, uh, to, to, well, to the, to the world, uh, but anyone who is willing uh, to be called out from the world and uh, become a part of the church. Well, who is the author or who is the preacher that, that we're looking at here? I know many of you know the answer to that, but preachers like to prove things and 
Uh, so we'll, we'll take a look at that real quick. We see clues found in two different verses. Verse number one says, The words of the preacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem. And then one in verse 12, I, the preacher, was king over Israel in Jerusalem. So we don't get the name called out, but we get some clues right here. The first clue we see, uh, king over Israel. Well, that narrows it down. Uh, this will be the United Kingdom and not just Judah. This will be before the, the split and you have the ten tribes of the north and the two of the south. This will be the entire thing. There were technically four kings, Saul, David, Solomon, and Rehoboam. Rehoboam wasn't the king over the United Kingdom very long, but technically he was a king over the United Kingdom. Uh, so we have four here that we can choose from. Uh, it says this king would have been in Jerusalem. Well, that rules out Saul. Uh, the first king in Jerusalem would have been David, and that was until seven and a half years after he became king that he moved on to Jerusalem. The second clue, it says here, the son of David. Well, that one rules out David. And you might say, well, that also rules out Rehoboam. And it seems like it would, but we know sometimes in the Bible, uh, the, the grandson is referred to as the son. So we can't just rule him out because he's not the son of David. However, we do know Rehoboam. We know what we read about him. Uh, we know Solomon was, was talked about as being a wise king who had many wise sayings. We never read that about Rehoboam, and we don't want him on the list anyway, so we'll just take him off. And that leaves us with Solomon. And that's who is commonly believed to be. That's who we always credit all the wise sayings to and, and who we will consider as we read tonight. So let's get into chapter 1. We'll just read through the entire chapter here uh, for a moment. The words of the preacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. I think it's important to stop right here just real quick and think about the meaning of the word vanity. It has a couple different meanings. Uh, the one we're concerned with now is the one that basically means something is done in vain or it's meaningless. Uh, uh, meaningless. Ultimately, utterly meaningless is what the preacher is saying here. Well, and... and well, what is, what is meaningless? What is, what is vanity? What is the vanity of vanities? Um, and then he goes on into that and, and talks about what's on his mind. I'm going on in verse 3. He said, What profit has a man from all his labor in which he toils under the sun? One generation passes away and another generation comes, but the earth abides forever. The sun also rises and the sun goes down and hastens to the place where it arose. The wind goes toward the south and turns around to the north. The wind whirls about continually and comes again on its circuit. All the rivers run into the sea, yet the sea is not full. To the place from which the rivers come, there they return again. All things are full of labor. Man cannot express it. The, the eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. That which has been is what will be. That which is done is what will be done, and there is nothing new under the sun. Is there anything of which may, it may be said, see, this is new? It has already been in ancient times before us. There is no remembrance of former things, nor will there be any remembrance of things that are to come by those who will come after. I, the preacher, was king over Israel in Jerusalem, and I set my heart to seek and search out by wisdom concerning all that is done under heaven. This burdensome task God has given to the sons of man by which they may be exercised. 
I have seen all the works that are done under the sun, and indeed, all is vanity and grasping for the wind. What is crooked cannot be made straight, and what is lacking cannot be numbered. I communed with my heart, saying, Look, I have, gained, I have attained greatness, and have gained more wisdom than all who were before me in Jerusalem. My heart has understood great wisdom and knowledge, and I set my heart to know wisdom and to know madness and folly. I perceive that this also is grasping for the wind. For in much wisdom is much grief, and he who in increases knowledge increases sorrow. So when we read the first chapter of the book of Ecclesiastes, it appears to be a very pessimistic book. And that's one of the challenging things about Ecclesiastes as you, as you read through it. Uh, this chapter, it's pessimistic, and really throughout the whole book, basically, uh, it's pretty pessimistic. There's, there are some op there's some optimism here and there, but it keeps falling back into this woe, woe is me, woe is life feeling a lot of times. And, and sometimes the things that are said just don't seem to be right. You read it and you think, wow, you know, that's, that's kind of true, but that's, that's not the whole story. That's not the total truth of it all. It seems to be written by someone who lacked faith. And I don't believe that's totally the case. Uh, and we'll talk about that here in just a moment. But as you, as you go through it, it seems to say one thing here, and then sometimes it seems like it uh, uh, contradicts itself in other places as it, as it goes along. But this, this pessimism, this, this down-on-life attitude is, is on through. This is chapter 1 especially. It's not one of those books that you're going to go to Hobby Lobby and see a stitched pillow or some home decor uh, frames that you're going to want to take home and hang on your wall. You're going to be hard-pressed to find someone, uh, unless they're just trying to be ironic, and, uh, of having something like this up on the walls of their home. So it seems this way. However, we have to look at the context of the book. We have to think about this preacher and listen to his words and figure out what it is that he is trying to do here. We'll see as we, as we read, or when you read through the book, that Ecclesiastes is actually a search for truth. And you know what happens when you're searching for something. So you search, you look here, you don't find what you're looking for. So you go, you look over here, and you don't find what you're looking for. So you, you keep searching, you have a bunch of failures, and... You can get down on, on things as you go about finding your failures until ultimately, hopefully, you find what you're looking for or you solve the problem that you're looking to solve. It looks at life and its shortcomings. And we know that in life there are, it has many shortcomings, many things that there are to bring us down. We see that it's the work of a man on, the, on a journey. Chap, starting in chapter 2, Solomon says he, 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 he basically traveled on to... Uh, to explore everything, all that life has to offer and, and, and what there is. What is the meaning of it all? Where, where can I find fulfillment? Uh, so he, he, he's journeying around. He's, he's finding pieces here and there. Uh, he, he finds a little bit here, and then he tells the truth as he sees it when he learns that thing. And then he moves on. It's a, it's a journey through his life of finding out. He could have just made the book real simple and told us what his idea of the meaning of life is, but he takes the time here to not only give us eventually what he thinks is the meaning of life and what the purpose of it all is, but he wants to give us his journey and when what he found along the way, how he came to understand what he eventually understands. 
It sees life from different perspectives. As I said, as he traveled along, uh, as he's a younger man, as he grows and then becomes an older man, uh, those perspectives in his life change, and he starts seeing the world different, the trials of life, the vanity of life, the, the grasping for wind, and he sees more of what it's for. So this is how the book is written. So we can take chapter 1 for what it is. This is where he started. He, he sat down and he thought about his life and what it all meant, and he came up very empty. It looks at life under the sun. We see that phrase uh, uh, several times throughout the entire book uh, as, he's, as he's looking at things under the sun from the perspective of only of what he sees under the sun. <clears throat> in verse 3, he says, What profit has a man from all his labor in which he toils under the sun? And I set my heart to seek and search out by wisdom concerning all that is done under heaven, this burdensome task. I have seen all the works that are done under the sun, and indeed, all is vanity and grasping for the wind. So this is where he's concerning himself. He's, he's looking at life. What's the purpose of life? Where can I find fulfillment in the things under the sun by everything that uh, the earth has to offer? And what he comes up with, what, he, what he's looking at as he travels and what we see in chapter 1, he sees that nothing ever really changes. Everything is the same uh, in ancient times till now, till in the future. Uh, things are always the same and never change. The cycles repeat endlessly. Uh, by the time Solomon comes on the scene, if you read the Old Testament, you're reading over you know, uh, thousands of years uh, and, and then the, breaking them down to the hundreds of years, we see cycles repeating. And up until now, looking back, the cycles that repeat from the, from the most basic things in our lives uh, until just the, the journey through time, uh, cycles repeat endlessly. Nothing, he feels, is ever really accomplished. What's the point of it all? You make a billion dollars, you die. He goes to somebody else. And who's to say who gets that billion dollars? Are they wise or are they a fool? Good chance it could wind up in the hands of the fool, and then everything you did, well, you know, uh, it was just a waste to you. And then in your time, it feels like nothing is ever really accomplished. And our labors appear pointless. Um, we, have, we have good things, and, 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 uh, but what's the, what is the point of it all when you look over all of time? Uh, several times you see some comparisons he makes. When, uh, when a man dies, he's the same as a beast. They live for a while and then they die. Uh, the wise die, the fool dies. The wise gets rich, the fool gets rich. You know, what's the, what's the point of, of any of it uh, as you look about? And knowing all these things uh, cause a great deal of despair. Uh, sometimes it's very hard to, to overcome that. Um, and... and, and his, his thoughts as he goes along it seems to keep coming back to this. He, he keeps going. He keeps not finding the answer he's, he's looking for. It's, uh, it's very hard when you consider all these things. And, and as you go through the book, you'll find out, like I said, the book is very hard and, and seems to be just wrong sometimes. Matter of fact, I believe it's in chapter uh, 2. I believe it's in chapter 2. Or it may be later than that. Um, 
I don't remember right, maybe three, uh, about partway down, you'll even see a heading uh, in some Bibles. It'll say, the folly of living wisely. <laughs> and that sounds silly at first, but then when you, when you read what he says and, and kind of see where he's going with it and what his perspective is at the time and what he's trying to understand, uh, you'll see what he means. The value of this passage, well, what's, what, why is this passage in the Bible? If it's there to teach us something, if it's there for a good purpose, well then what is that purpose and that value? And the answer is it's an honest assessment of this life. Well, we just keep getting more pessimistic. If what he says is a pessimistic thing, but it's an honest assessment of this life, um, well, where's this, where's, we've got to get to the silver lining. And we will eventually. But as, as, as Solomon goes through his, his trouble here and trying to figure this out, he's got to get through this hard part first. This honest assessment of life isn't, uh, Solomon put it in his book, but it's not, it, it's not just to Solomon. Many poets and people all through the years uh, have had this view of life, uh, this, this, this thinking, and trying to figure out, you know, what's, what, why am I here? What, what can I do to make my life have purpose, to have meaning? Uh, what is there that I can do? Solomon had that and many others as well. There's a, a song by Pink Floyd that I've always liked. Um, it's called Time. It was written by Roger Waters in 1972. And, and he's, he's having a, a bit of a problem with time and, and the loss of time and things like that. Kind of the same thing. Uh, not, not exactly the same thing, but a, but a, a, a looking back and a, a similar feeling. I'm going to go through some of the words of the song. Not the whole thing, but just a few things I think that are interesting in, in how you know, artists look at a similar situation. The song goes on. Uh, it says, Ticking away the moments that make up a dull day. You fritter and waste the hours in an offhand way. Kicking around on a piece of ground in your hometown, waiting for someone or something to show you the way. Tired of lying in the sunshine, staying home to watch the rain. And you are young, and life is long, and there's time to kill today. And then one day you find ten years have got behind you. No one told you when to run. You missed the starting gun. And you run and you run to catch up with the sun, but it's sinking, racing around to come up behind you again. The sun is the same in a relative way, but you're older. You're shorter of breath and one day closer to death. This is, uh, more, like I said, more, it's more a lament about wasting time and losing time and, and it slipping away. But it's, it's all kind of the same thing. The, the purpose is missing. He's not feeling fulfilled. And he says so much in an in a, uh, interview years later talking about this song. He said he wrote it when he was 29. And, uh, and, and, and here he, he, he sat down. He was thinking about it. Here he was. He said he was halfway through his life. He was told he was building towards something. But he didn't see what it was. He, he couldn't find the answer, what he was heading toward. And, and you see that from a young child here, just kind of playing around in the yard. Uh, you know, you're young. you got your whole life ahead of you. you. you got time to just mess around. And we know what Solomon's eventually going to say about that. He's going to say you need to be remembering your creator in those days. But when you're young, you got all this time. But then he says one day you wake up and you're 10 years older you got to get a job. you got to go to work. you got to support yourself. you got to move on. you got to do all this stuff. And so you do. You start, you start running. And, and this, this uh, 
uh, verse he uses here, it's, it's one a, uh, this, that's brought, that you hear a lot, trying to catch up with the sun. And, and what a futile task that is. You can't catch up with the sun. Uh, if you try to drive across this country, uh, you'll be behind the sun. It'll go, it'll come up behind you, and it'll go ahead of you again if you just try to drive across the country. And that's what you find. You spend all your time living or working, and you see all that time get by you, and then you think, well, what's the point of it all? This, you know, you look at the sun, and relatively speaking, it hasn't changed a bit. You know, you've changed more uh, in your life than the sun has since the beginning of time. Um, and so, uh, so the sun hasn't changed, but there you are. You're just shorter of breath, and one day you're just closer to death. And uh, he felt the despair of that. And uh, I, was, I found it very funny. Uh, at this point, he's, he's 75 years old. Uh, at 29, he said he was halfway through his life. And just yesterday, I saw a guy wearing a T-shirt from a concert he had just a couple years ago. So he, he wasn't near halfway through his life like he mentioned. I thought that was rather ironic to see, see him wearing that. But from the time of Solomon, a thousand years before the birth of Christ, to Roger Waters, 2,000 years after Christ's death, uh, people have been looking and expressing this, this despair of what is the point of it all? Why, why are we going through all of this to just you know, leave it alone? And I know we all know that answer, but we're going to build, build on to it. But it's an honest assessment of this life, whether you're the king of a nation or whether you're a rock star in the 70s. You think about it, he probably had a chance to try out many things just like Solomon did. He's coming up with the exact same answer. And he could have tried to learn from Solomon from the beginning. Other values of this passage, it gets us to see life's futility. Uh, it gets us to understand... It's, it's not everything. This, this life is not everything for sure. And because we see that it's futile, it gets, us to wanna, it gets us to want to look beyond this life. Look for something better, something there, that there is that's more to gain. And then we learn that meaning must come from outside this life. Beyond ourselves especially uh, is where that meaning must come from. And we must look above the sun. We live under the sun but our perspective needs to change and try to see things above the sun. And that's what we want to eventually look toward. And, and we know that's exactly what Solomon eventually finds out through all this journey. Throughout the, old, the entire Old Testament uh, and, and, and in Solomon's time, he didn't have the full story of exactly where life was going. Uh, it, all seemed, uh, it, it, it could have seemed pointless and meaningless. They knew something was coming. Uh, but they kept looking for that answer. And of course, now looking back, we know exactly what that answer was going to be. It was going to come from God in the New Testament through His Son. And then, all of a sudden, everything was going to make more sense. And that is what Solomon is going to find out. So what is the application then of this, of this text? What, what, can we, what can we learn from it? Or what should we do? Number one, we should examine our lives. Solomon wasn't just living his life and all of a sudden this just kind of occurred to him. Uh, he, he, I'm sure he had to sit down, he had to reflect a lot. You know, based on what all he wrote, he had to do a lot of reflection. Uh, this isn't something that just occurs to you because if you don't stop and consider these things, it'll all just pass by you without you ever even noticing it. And we should do the same thing. We should examine our lives. 
uh, and, and see exactly where our lives have been going, uh, where we're trying to take our lives, and what is the point of it all. We should ask these questions. Number one, what is the point of my life? Everything that I do every day, what is the purpose of it? What's the point of it? Is, is, is it making a point? Um, is, it, is it all for nothing? Uh, and, or, and what should I be doing about that? Number two, what am I accomplishing? What am I trying to get done? What goal do I want to move toward? And number three, is there something more? Is there something beyond this life? Is there something beyond what I'm doing now that I can do to try to find that fulfillment, that whole purpose uh, to what I want? And of course, we know that there is. Uh, Solomon gets to his conclusion in Ecclesiastes chapter 12. Uh, he, he gives us that. He says, remember your creator before the silver cord is loosed or the golden bowl is broken or the pitcher shattered at the fountain or the wheel broken at the well. Then the dust will return to the earth as it was and the spirit will return to God who gave it. So our purpose, and that we have to study, of course, to find all this out. We don't have time to learn all that in this lesson. But our purpose is eventually, we know, to get a home with God. And that's where the looking above the sun. We look at how this life, the things we do, uh, what, is the, what is the point of my life? How is my life trying to get me closer to getting to heaven? Uh, what am I accomplishing? What are the things I'm doing here that's making my election more sure? Uh, what can I do to make my eventual home in heaven a reality, you know? Uh, and is, are the things that I'm doing now, are they moving me toward that goal? Uh, or are they all just pointless things? But even those, even those pointless things that Solomon talked about, uh, you know, our, our labor, our toiling and our work and everything, those truthfully aren't, aren't wasted. We know that um, because it's all a, a thing to get us prepared as we live in this life. Uh, to become what God would have us to. Ronald spoke in a lesson, not, you know, it's been a while now. I've intended to bring this up a long time ago. Uh, I can't remember if it, was a, if it was a Sunday or a Wednesday, but he was, he was talking about something. And uh, I believe he was talking about sin or just life in general. And he, he said it's like cotton candy. And uh, I thought, well, I never heard, I don't think I've ever heard anybody say cotton candy before. I always think of, you know, vanity and grasping for the wind and, and all that. But as he kept talking, I kept thinking about cotton candy. And, uh, and uh, I thought, you know, that's, well, that's, that's really right. And the more I thought about it, uh, I'm pretty sure cotton candy didn't exist in the time of Solomon or he would have worked it in here somehow. Um, because if you think about cotton candy, um, you go to the fair, and I, I intended to bring something as a visual aid, but I couldn't find anything what I was looking for. You can't find anything but those little buckets dollar store has or something like that. Not very big. But, you know, if you go to the fair... They'll give you a cotton candy, you know, that tall, that sits on a little cone or whatever, and you look and you think, boy, that's a lot of cotton candy. But I'll bet if you eat every bit of that cotton candy, you could sit down and eat a whole other meal, right? You know, it's fun while it lasts, but you put it in your mouth, it kind of disappears for a moment. It tastes really good, but then it goes away. And, and when it's all done, you could probably take another thing of cotton candy. Uh, I wouldn't recommend it. But uh, And go ahead and just probably eat the whole thing all over again. I don't know that anybody has ever eaten... One of those cotton candies said, boy, I'm stuffed. That's all I need for today. Um, but that's kind of the way life is. Uh, you, you, you take all that life has to offer. You have fun with it for a moment. 
and then it's over. You want, you want more. You need more. And that's because the things of this life, well, they're like cotton candy. They're not meant to fill us up. They're meant to, to be here for some purpose, uh, to get us through this life, to become more like God as we go along, but they're never meant to sustain us. We know that what, the only thing that can sustain us is what we find above the sun and, and what we want to look for, um, just, as, just as Solomon pointed out here. So when you read the conclusion Solomon has, verse 7 there, then the dust will return to the earth as it was, and the Spirit will return to God who gave it. Well, what does, what does that mean? Should we just live here and just kind of we'll just wait our time out until eventually we die and then we can go on to heaven? Uh, just go kind of sit in a corner, be quiet, and just, just let it all pass by until eventually we can go home? I don't believe that's the answer either. I believe that's where the thing Solomon was talking about in chapter 1, are not vanity. They're not in vain or a waste of time. It's, we, we do those things uh, because that's what God wants us to do. In our Wednesday night class, we're talking about the book of Daniel and the Babylonian captivity. And when they get taken away to Babylon, Jeremiah, he gives them some words of encouragement in Jeremiah 29, verses 4 through 14. It says, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all who are carried away captive, whom I have caused to be carried away from Jerusalem to Babylon. So this is who's talking, this is where he got the message, and this is who he's talking to, those captives in Babylon. Later in verse 10, he gives them the good news. He says, For thus says the Lord, After seventy years are completed at Babylon, I will visit you and perform my good, my good word toward you and cause you to return to this place. After seventy years they were going to go home. For I, for I know the thoughts that I think toward you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope, then you will call upon me and go and pray to me, and I will listen to you, and you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. I will be found by you, says the Lord, and I will bring you back from your captivity. I will gather you from all the nations, from all the places where I have driven you, says the Lord, and I will bring you to the place from which I cause you to be carried away captive. So they're in captivity. Life is horrible. Uh, it's, it's, you know, what, what are we doing here? You know, and, and uh, he says, in 70 years, I'm going to take you back home. It's all going to be over. You're going to pray to me. I'm going to listen, and you're going home. So what are they to do? They just need to just kind of sit in the corner in Babylon, just kind of sit there for 70 years. Well, that's not what Jeremiah tells them to do. They're in the middle in verse 5. He tells me, he says, build houses and dwell in them, plant gardens and eat their fruit, take wives and beget sons and daughters and take wives for your sons and give your daughters to husbands so that they may bear sons and daughters that you may be increased there and not diminished and seek the peace of the city where I have caused you to be carried away captive. Pray to the Lord for it, for in its peace you will have peace. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, do not let your prophets and your diviners uh, who are in your midst deceive you, nor listen to your dreams which you caused, uh, which, which you caused to be dreamed, for they prophesy falsely to you in my name. I have not sent them, says the Lord. So God, God, He doesn't want them to go into this captive land and just wait 70 years. Don't go sit in the corner and wait for 70 years. You're there for a purpose. You're there because you have fallen away. I have put you into captivity so that you can learn and so that you can come back and you can be, be better. You can, you can be what I want you to be. This is a time uh, they're getting punished and a time that they're being corrected. And that's the whole point. And in that time, 
part of the way you become better, keep living. Do what, do, you know, just, just carry on with life. Um, uh, live in the world. You know, we, we, we read that we're to be, of, be in the world but not of the world. And that's, that's what we're commanded to do. That's what they're commanded to do. Live here. Uh, live as, as, you, as best you can. Get along with, your, with the government as best you can. The people around you the best you can. Pray for them to have peace because then you will have peace. And that's our, you know, that's our charge today. We pray for our country. The leader that's in, that may be in power now may, be, may not be the one we want. But as long as you know, he doesn't do anything to mess anything up, then everything's fine. So we ought to pray that he doesn't do anything to mess anything up, that he's wise. Uh, anything, anything we can do to make the life better. And just like, you know, we, we read this story here, and we understand that this 70 years, it's our three score and ten in, in this world. It's exactly what we're to do. Uh, we are to uh, live in the world and to try to become as much like God as we can and give an example uh, of what God would have his people to be. The conclusion, going back to Ecclesiastes chapter 12, and the later, in later verses from there, and the one I, I always love to use the... Uh, uh, at the end, uh, trying, to, trying to explain the meaning of life, Solomon says, Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is man's all. For God will bring every work into judgment, including every secret thing, whether good or evil. And that is the final conclusion of the whole matter. That is what, um, that is what we have to keep in mind uh, as, we, as we live our life. We, we live, we do everything that we do. When I go to work tomorrow... God wants me to go to work. He wants me to support my family and, and to, to, to be able to provide for them as they are needed. Why? Because God supports his family. He gives them what they need. I want to be more like God. I do those things so that I can learn to care for my family, so that I can care for the people around me, uh, my community, everything like that, because it all serves a purpose. Without God, just like Solomon said, just, just under the sun, it has really no meaning. I die. The things I did go away. You know, in a hundred years, nobody's going to remember anyway. If you look back through history, there's, you know, there's only a handful of people really that are even remembered compared to all of life. You have to really make some kind of statement to be remembered. But for me, uh, everything that I do in my three score and ten means everything if it's for the purpose of trying to please God. And that's what we're up to tonight. And what we have to examine our lives and, and think about tonight, is that where you are? Or do you have something uh, that you need forgiveness from? Do you need to commit yourself to God? Do you need to uh, believe His Word, repent, confess, and be baptized? Or have you fallen away and need that forgiveness? 